When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome in, everybody, to episode 206 of the podcast. It is Sweeping America, the Aaron Sports Podcast. Little bit of a different deal this week. So usually the second episode comes out Thursday night, but Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is a pretty slow time in college hoops. And with the two big games, Louisville, Texas Tech, and UConn, Indiana, I have decided to move up to the the second show this week to today. And let me just say, call me Britney Spears because... Oops, I did it again. I have another fan base mad at me. Louisville fans are going after me because I had the audacity to say that they have actual real problems following the loss to Texas Tech. I will get into that. I'll talk a little Texas Tech. I will talk a little bit UConn, Indiana. And then, how about this? Great guest on the second half of the episode, Andy Kennedy. You all know him, the former Ole Miss head coach. He, of course, now works for the SEC Network and ESPN. He comes on, and we really do about 20 minutes of nerd SEC basketball. We talk Kentucky. We talk Auburn. We talk Tennessee. We talk about teams that are going to get better. We talk about teams that are going to get worse. It was a great interview, and I really enjoyed having Andy Kennedy on. So he will be joining me uh, probably about the 35-minute mark or so of this show to kind of break down SEC hoops, but we'll start with Louisville, Texas Tech, etc. All right, before we get to the actual basketball, big announcement. I have been telling you for a month now, six weeks, however long it's been, if you're going to be in Vegas for the CBS Sports Classic next Friday, that would be December 20th. The games are the 21st. It's Kentucky-Ohio State, which may be a top 10 matchup, by the way. It almost certainly will be a top 10 matchup, plus UNC-UCLA. If you're going to be in Vegas on the 21st for the games, I will have an event for listeners of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast the day before, Friday, December 20th. And big news, I finally got the details today, Wednesday, and here they are. This is what you need to know. Grab a pen and paper. If you want me to send you details, reach out to me. You can email me at Aaron Torres, podcast questions at gmail.com. Hit me up on Twitter. Hit me up on Instagram, etc. But these are the pertinent details. So Friday, December 20th, the day before the games, you'll all be in town. You'll all be looking for something to do in the middle of the day. Vegas is cold during the summer, during the winter. What do you want to do on Friday afternoon? You want to eat, you want to drink, you want to watch sports. So here's what you're going to do. Lagasse Stadium. Think Emerald Lagasse, 
He's got a sports bar at the Venetian Hotel. So you go to the Venetian. The Venetian and the Palazzo are technically connected. So it's next to the Palazzo front desk, but it's technically in the Venetian Hotel. Legacy Stadium at the Venetian from 3 to 5 local time. We will have a meetup for the Aaron Torres podcast listeners of the show. I'm so excited about this. I'm so excited to meet you. And I just got off the phone with them. I hammered them to get me some kind of special, some kind of something, whatever. So here's what you need to know. Three to five local time, Friday, December 20th. Next Friday, if you're going to be in Vegas, Legacy Stadium at the Venetian will have drink specials. By the way, for you young guys that want to get a good buzz going before you go out, you want to know, you know, where can I go? What can I drink for cheap? $20 all you can drink beer plus vodka drinks plus a plate of wings for 20 bucks. You plop down a $20 bill, you say, I'm here to see Torres. They give you all the beer you can drink plus a plate of wings. Oh, by the way, you know what else is great about Legacy's? They have a sports book in the restaurant. So you throw down your 20 bucks while they're making your wings. You go down and you place a bet. Friday, 3 to three to 5, it'll be fun. The, there will be bowl games going on at that point, NBA games, college basketball games. You can throw down a bet. You can eat. You can come hang out. So again, if you listen to this show, if you want to meet me, if you're going to be in Vegas for the CBS Sports Classic, next Friday, December 20th, Legacy Stadium, like Emerald Legacy, sports bar, sports book, from 3 to 5 Eastern, come to the Venetian, ask for Legacy's. you'll get there, we'll have a little setup, you come, you eat, you drink, you hang, you talk with AT, we bet a couple games together, we win together, we lose together, we, we make some money together, come 3 to 5 local time and I will see you at Legacy's at the Venetian next week. So let's talk about the actual games on the court on Tuesday night, Jimmy V Classic. And of course, I do want to start with the Louisville-Texas Tech game. I know all of you watched it. You wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you didn't. But the final score was Louisville 50, or Texas Tech 70, Louisville 57. Not a good performance at all by Louisville. We're going to get to them in a minute. First of all, shout out to Texas Tech. We'll talk more about Chris Beard momentarily. But the bottom line is like, yes, I know Texas Tech was struggling coming into this game, but it's still Texas Tech. Chris Beard maybe the best pure coach in all of college basketball and he had his team ready he had his team locked in and he had his team ready to go and so while it didn't look good necessarily on paper for Louisville to lose this game I don't think we can be critical of Louisville sometimes you show up you play a good team with more motivation than you I think ironically that happened with Louisville Michigan I think if Louisville and Michigan played 10 times it'd be five or you know five wins for each team but Louisville just happened to catch Michigan on the wrong night. They happened to catch Michigan, or they caught Michigan on the right night. They catch Texas Tech on the wrong night when they've lost three straight and have something to prove. So, like, look, I still think Louisville's going to be fine in the big picture. But in the small picture, I don't think that anybody could watch those games and not see some real problems creeping up for Louisville. Over the last three games, they have played by far the three best teams on their schedule. Last week, they played Michigan, which I just referenced. Friday night, they played Pitt. And then, of course, Tuesday night, they played Texas Tech. And if you watch those games, and I talked a lot about Louisville-Michigan in the previous two episodes, so I'm not going to break it down play by play. But if you watch those three games, the first two Louisville won. But I don't think anybody came out of those games saying, like, Louisville is definitively the best team. Well, some people did, and they're idiots. But, like, like Louisville's unbeatable and they're the best team it's like no 
Like Louisville played a Michigan team that was coming off three straight games in the Bahamas. They were a little flat. Louisville didn't play all that well. They shot 36% from the field. They ended up winning the game. Pitt, by the way, on Friday night, a lot of people didn't see it. It was during the Pac-12 football championship game. Louisville's only up by about five with like eight, nine minutes to go, maybe seven minutes even. They end up uh, kind of extending the lead late so it doesn't look as bad. And then, of course, you have Tuesday night against Texas Tech. And if you've watched those games, I think it's fair to say that Louisville has not played great in any of those games. They've been fine. They won the game against Michigan. It's going to look good on the resume. That's not a quote-unquote bad win. I just don't think it's this incredible win just because they beat a good team when that team wasn't playing well. And so again, if you've watched Louisville, I think the two things that really kind of stand out are the fact that they really, for whatever reason, don't have any point guard play and they don't really have anybody to initiate the offense and kind of get them into what they want to do. And then they also really don't have a, a real kind of go-to scorer other than Jordan War. Jordan War is great. He may be the best player in the ACC this year. He's averaging over 20 a game. But if you look at their box scores, in the biggest games, if he doesn't score, they struggle. And so ultimately, I think if you've actually watched the games and you're not biased and you're not a Louisville fan or you're not somebody that hates Louisville, I think you can sit there realistically and say, those things are factually correct. And so what did I do on Tuesday night after the game? I did what I always do after big games. I tweeted about the game because the bottom line is I cover college basketball for a living. Some of you care about my opinions about this sport. That's why you listen to the podcast. That's why some of you follow me on social media, on Twitter, on Instagram, whatever. And so I go to Twitter and I send out what I think is a pretty innocent tweet in regards to Louisville. Here is the actual tweet itself. I started by kind of talking Chris Beard. I said, this guy's incredible, blah, blah, blah. And then I went to this one. I said, also, this, this, is, the, this is the exact tweet. Also, this isn't a knock on Louisville, but instead reality. They have real problems that need to be addressed. No point guard to initiate the offense. No scores besides Jordan Wara. Not saying it can't be fixed, but they're not a very good basketball team right now. And so I put that out there. And again, look, there are times in what I do in the media whether it's on Twitter, whether it's on this podcast, whether it's a radio interview I do, a TV interview I do, whatever, where like I do say things that I know are going to be controversial, where I know it's going to piss people off. I didn't feel like this was one of them. It felt pretty obvious to me or to anyone who actually has watched Louisville over the last week, let alone over the course of the season, that like they have a couple real problems. Well, Never underestimate the, uh, the, the, the might of an angry fan base because Louisville fans came after me with this tweet. And if you go to my Twitter feed, Aaron underscore Torres, you can get into all of it. I'm not going to break down. You know, I tried to get some of the tweets, but some of them weren't appropriate. Some of them were just factually incorrect. And some of them were just arguing about arguments. So like, I'm not going to get into it. But again, this is not the first time, if you listen to this show, that I've gotten into it with a fan base. The Nevada fans aren't happy with me right now. Uh, the entire continent of Australia had a few weeks where they were pretty upset with your boy AT. And so this is just kind of what I do, and this is kind of what happens, and it's not a big deal. But again, to get back to Louisville, if you're not a Louisville fan, and by the way, I hope Louisville fans listen to this show. I know a lot of them do because of Nick Coffey and because of my college basketball coverage and because I'm amazing, let's be honest, is like, let's have a real conversation about that team. Because I've already laid it out. I think Louisville's going to be fine. I don't think in the big picture 
this is a controversial thing for me to say. What would be controversial? What would be a quote-unquote hot take? What would be something that is trying to rile up the fan base would say, Louisville's guards stink. They can't win the national championship. That would be a hot take. Saying they have real problems and they're not a very good team right now is all factually correct. Because again, They've played the three best teams on their schedule over the last week. They struggled against Michigan. They shot 36% from the field in that game. Jordan Wara carried them with 23 points. Only one other player scored in double figures. And if Michigan hadn't been right off of a plane from the Bahamas where they played three games in three days, I think Michigan gives Louisville a better fight. I think Michigan potentially wins that game. Again, the pit game on Friday. It was a five-point game with eight minutes to go. That is a fact. Maybe it was eight and a half or nine or seven and a half, whatever. Somewhere in that range, it was a game that Pitt could have won. Credit to Louisville for coming back to win. And of course, what happened on Tuesday night. Again, these are not controversial things. These are facts. Facts hurt. Now, I think this is the important question. Can Louisville figure it out? And I do think the answer is yes. So let's put aside why you're mad at me, why you love me, why you hate me, and let's just talk about Louisville right now. Because they do have point guard problems, and they do have scoring, can it be fixed? I do think the answer is yes, because of one simple reason. I think they have too many veterans who have played too much college basketball, and I do think eventually they will kind of figure out how to kind of run this offense efficiently. Now look, this is part of being a college basketball fan. Not every team plays great on every night. Ask Duke fans how it felt the day after the Stephen F. Austin game. Ask Kentucky fans how it felt after the Evansville game. Ask Kansas fans how it felt all of last year when they couldn't do anything right and they finished third in the Big Big 12. It happens. Michigan State fans aren't very happy right now. These are things that happen in college basketball, but the question for Louisville is can it be fixed? And I think the answer is yes. Look, I will say this. The two guys that they were counting on to handle the ball and to initiate their offense are simply not playing that well. The first one is the kid, uh, Fresh Kimball, Lamar Kimball. He's the grad transfer from St. Joe's. I have warned you all summer, all fall, and now into the winter, be careful about grad transfers that you're expecting to play a big role when they're jumping up a level in competition. I said it with the UNC guys. I said it when Nate Sestina came to Kentucky. It's one thing if you have a Nate Sestina type situation where a guy is coming off a bench and playing a very specific role. It's another thing if you have a guy that you need to play a major role, and I think that's something that a lot of programs are struggling with right now. I think North Carolina is relying on grad transfers that aren't good enough to play at North Carolina, and I think with Louisville, it's kind of the same deal. Now, I do think Lamar Kimball will eventually get there. I do think he will eventually be okay. He will be serviceable. Sometimes it just takes time. I don't think this was a kid that played in the high leverage games at St. Joe's in the A-10 that he is playing in at Louisville. Again, it's a lot different playing LaSalle on a Thursday night versus playing at Madison Square Garden against maybe the best defensive team in college basketball. I think it'll be okay. I think the fact that Darius Perry has really struggled the last two games is okay. He's only gotten uh, two total assists against Michigan and against Texas Tech. I don't think it'll get worse, so I think it'll get better. Now, can they find more offense around Jordan Nuora? I don't know, but that's kind of where I stand on this whole situation with Louisville is I think they'll be okay, but we can't deny what we're seeing in front of us, and this is what what always cracks me up about fans and about media and about people that are critical of other people who do what I do. Listen, 
People say, oh, Torres, you're coming in with hot takes. And it's like, no, it's actually the exact opposite. The hot take would be for me to have Michigan and Louisville number one and number two in the preseason, which I did, and say, oh, no, they're fine. There's nothing wrong there. That's the hot take. That's not using the information that I have available to me. What isn't a hot take is doing exactly what I just said. Watching the games, and I will tell you this right now, I don't believe outside of a couple guys like uh, you know, Rob Douster and Barstool Riggs and guys like that, I don't believe that there are more people that watch more college basketball than me. Um, and so don't tell me that you don't know what you're talking about and it's a hot take. It's actually the exact opposite. I'm actually taking the information that I have available to me. I'm putting aside my preseason judgment and I am bringing the actual information that I have available to me to the table. And right now that information is that Louisville is struggling on the offensive end of the court. They are struggling to create offense, and they are struggling to find their guys. The good thing is, like I said, I do think it's fixable. I look at some programs in college basketball, and I say, like, it ain't going to get fixed. Like, some programs have real problems right now, right? Like, I think North Carolina, I just mentioned a minute ago, has real problems. I think they have three, maybe four guys that are good enough to play at the ACC level, and they're relying on four, five, six guys off the bench that simply aren't good enough. That I don't think gets solved over the course of a season. Virginia, I got to be honest, I said it last week, if the other team can score 50 points on Virginia, I think they can lose to just about anybody on the schedule. Now, I think they'll be fine. I think because they're in the ACC, because they play familiar opponents, they will be able to be a top 15, top 20 team all year. They'll be somewhere between a two seed and a five seed come Selection Sunday. But eventually, it will catch up with Virginia that they cannot score. Louisville, I think their problems are fixable. I already went over it. I would also say one last thing, because now this is where it gets personal. I had one guy in the media who's not even covering Louisville come after me and say, call me, talk about hot takes because of the fact that, oh, like, well, you know, and this was Kyle Tucker from The Athletic. He says something to the effect of like, oh, well, everyone in college basketball is terrible this year. Everyone has flaws. And it's like, everyone, oh, got flaws like Louisville does. Because I'll tell you this, as I look across the national landscape right now, I do think teams are starting to separate themselves. I don't think Ohio State has very many flaws right now. They beat North Carolina by 25 last last week. They beat Villanova by 25 earlier in the season. I don't think that Gonzaga has very many flaws right now. Maybe they don't have an elite go-to score, but they can get offense from four or five spots on the floor. I think they're good enough to play with just about anybody in college basketball. I honestly don't think Duke has very many flaws right now as you look at Duke. And I understand that they lost to Stephen F. Austin, but there's a difference between having a bad game and having a real problem. You look at Duke. They beat the crap out of Michigan State. They beat Kansas. They beat Georgetown when Georgetown was kind of, you know, at full strength before all their guys transferred out. Duke's a real team. I don't think Duke has a major, major flaw. I would add Kentucky, we're going to find out the next couple weeks. Baylor, I don't think Baylor has a major flaw. So don't give me this nonsense about no, everybody in college basketball sucks. Nobody has a flaw. That's simply not true. Everybody, uh, there are teams that are a cut above everybody else. I forgot to mention Kansas. I think Kansas is actually really good this season. And so don't give me that stuff. Don't give me that nonsense. Because I do think that as I reflect back on Tuesday night, I think what happened at Louisville is fixable. I do not think that their season is over. I don't think it's a hot take. But I do think they have a real problem. 
And I think that problem has to be addressed right now. All right, let's transition quickly into the other half of that game. And how about shout out to our boy, Chris Beard, right? Like we do this and like you want to talk about a hot take. A hot take would have been, oh, Chris Beard, it's over. The season's over. Texas Tech isn't very good. It's like, nah, Texas Tech is still a really good team right now. And it was funny because they did come into this game struggling. They did come into this game losing three straight. But I would also say that if you kind of dig into the numbers, you would kind of see that even though Texas Tech was on a three-game losing streak, it wasn't quite as bad as I think a lot of people thought. There was two overtime games in those three losses. One of the games, which was at DePaul, uh, they missed a key free throw late. Davide Moretti, who actually led college basketball in free throw percentage last year, he shot close to 94%, missed a free throw, would have put Texas Tech up by four. Instead, they're only up by three. DePaul hits a three-pointer. They go to overtime. DePaul wins in overtime. So I bring it up. Because Texas Tech is still really good, and Chris Beard is still really good. And I think that was kind of one of my bigger takeaways from um, Tuesday night is like, dude, let's just let's just stop doubting Chris Beard. Like, it's okay to kind of pick apart Texas Tech in the moment, no different than what I did with Louisville a minute ago, no different than what I did with Kentucky after the Evansville game, no different than what I did with... Um, no different than what I did with Kansas after their game in Maui. And again, I think Kansas is much improved at this point in the year. But let's just stop down in Chris Beard. And it's kind of incredible because to, to take away, you know, just the win and loss of it all. Chris Beard last night uh, led Texas Tech to the victory. And it was the first victory over a number one ranked program in Texas Tech history. They had never beaten the number one team in the country prior to last night. Now, you can argue about, well, how good was Louisville? Is there really a number one? It doesn't mean it's whatever. It's incredible, and it just adds to this incredible list of things that Chris Beard has done since he's gotten to Texas Tech. And so I do think while Louisville was the big conversation last night, I do think we got to talk a little bit about Chris Beard because that guy is incredible, and here is just a sample for fun, I wanted to do this. I wanted to like really put in perspective how good this guy was. Here is a sample of what Chris Beard has done. Remember, he got there in the spring of 2016. So 2016-2017, that was the year that, um, I guess it was what, De'Aaron Fox and all them were on campus. I'm trying to remember, was 20, was it, tw yeah, it was 2016-2017 was his first year at Texas Tech. So keep that in mind, because that was the same year Lonzo Ball was on campus. That was the same year that um, De'Aaron Fox and Bam Adebayo were at Kentucky. So it wasn't that long ago. But in now his, third, his fourth season at Texas Tech, he's only had three full seasons at Texas Tech. Here is what Chris Beard has done. He has led Texas Tech to their first Elite Eight in school history. That happened in the 2018 season, his second year at the school. He led Texas Tech to their first Final Four last year, 2019. Obviously, of course, their first national championship game. Twice during that run, he has had the highest draft pick in school history. Two years ago, it was Zaire Smith, who was right outside the lottery. I think he was 16th overall, eventually ended up with the Phoenix Suns. And then last year, Jared Culver goes in the top five. So two years in a row, he's had the highest draft pick. Oh, by the way, he won the school's first Big 12 title last year. They had the first Big 12 player of the year in Jared Culver. And oh, by the way, they knocked off 
number one in the country for the first time on Tuesday night. How about that? So he's had first Elite Eight in school history, first Final Four in school history, first national championship game in school history, first Big 12 title in school history, first Big 12 uh, most valuable player, highest draft pick in school history in back-to-back years, and here is maybe the craziest Chris Beard stat going. This is only his fifth year as a college basketball coach. Only his fifth year as a Division I head coach at the highest level of college basketball. Now look, I get it. He coached under Bob Knight for quite a while at Texas Tech. He was a head coach in junior college. He was a head coach at D2. But the fact that this guy might be considered, he is considered by some, the best coach in college basketball. It's only his fifth year as a Division I head coach is incredible. Now look, I would also say when you talk about Chris Beard, there is another conversation that has to be had, and that is, of course, like, how long is he really going to be at Texas Tech for? And I think this is kind of an, a, a fascinating kind of subplot of every time Texas Tech has success, you kind of see the sharks circling, right? Like, like you know, Chris Beard's just a dude swimming, or maybe it's better analogy is Texas Tech is just a dude swimming in the ocean, and there's sharks circling underneath the, as, as Texas Tech does its laps. Because I'll tell you this. I know that if Sean Miller goes down in this FBI probe, Arizona wants Chris Beard to be their next head coach, or at least the fan base does. I don't want to speak for administrators, but I know that the fan base does. Uh, Kentucky fans want Chris Beard to be their next head coach. Kansas fans want Chris Beard to be their next head coach. I think even North Carolina fans, you know, the, the wine and cheese crowd at the Dean Dome is coming around to Chris Beard. Can't say I really see Chris Beard at Duke. He's a little too rough around the edges um, for maybe Duke. But Arizona, Kansas, Kentucky are the ones that I could absolutely see. And then, of course, the really interesting one, which actually could open up this offseason, is the University of Texas, where Shaka Smart is currently head coach. And so I always think it's fascinating to talk Chris Beard because you do have to talk about him in the context of, is there a next step for him? Now, I will say this. First off, to backtrack... You guys know, I know a lot of coaches. I won't say I know Chris Beard well at all. Interviewed him on the phone a few times. I actually had him on this podcast uh, very early in the show's inception, probably like April of 2018, maybe after that Final Four run. But I wouldn't say I know Chris, or the Elite Eight run. But I wouldn't say I know Chris Beard well. What I would say is this. I just can't see the Texas thing happening. And for people who maybe don't understand kind of the logistics of each an individual program, Texas is the flagship university in that state. Austin is obviously a great place to live. They have more money than they know what to do with at Texas. And I think if they get rid of Shaka Smart, they are going to make a big run at Chris Beard this offseason. I got to be honest, I don't really see him considering Texas. I just think it'd be weird, same state, um, same conference, all that kind of stuff. And I, I can't see him like next year going to Lubbock as the head coach of the Texas Longhorns. Um, I just can't see it. I, I really can't. And so you take them maybe off the table, at least for now. And listen, stuff changes in college basketball. I'm not saying that he's going to be uh, at Texas Tech in perpetuity. But what I do think becomes interesting is what happens when that elite, elite level job opens up. What about if Sean Miller gets busted by this FBI stuff? Does Chris Beard come in? What about if Kansas and Bill Self, you know, part ways, Bill Self, they're under NCAA investigation. Is Chris Beard the guy there? Again, that would be kind of a, an intertwined Big 12 thing. 
But Kansas is a different level job even than University of Texas, let alone Texas Tech. Kentucky, obviously, it's the same deal. So I just think this will be a fascinating kind of subplot to watch as Chris Beard kind of navigates through his coaching career. What I would add is he seems very happy at Texas Tech right now. I think it's worth considering that he has young-ish children. I think he has a daughter that's in college, but he still has two that are in like high school, middle school age that are in the area. I think he's happy there. Credit to Texas Tech. They have made him one of the highest paid coaches. They are building him a new practice facility. But I just think it's something to watch out for with Chris Beard because, again, he is going to be the most coveted person in all of college basketball when these major job openings happen. Final topic of the day, the final game of the Jimmy V Classic, which was, of course, Indiana against my UConn Huskies. And again, I mentioned a minute ago with Louisville, is I know that because I cover college hoops, like everybody always wants me to have like a real opinion, a huge opinion on all these games. And especially UConn, because I went to UConn, I'm an alum of UConn. And I got to be honest, you know, this was just one of those games where if if you're UConn, you know, you're just maybe not quite as good as you think. I don't think there's any huge takeaway for the University of Connecticut coming out of this game. They shot... Uh, 28% from three. They had 22 turnovers. They got sloppy at times. They took bad shots at times. They didn't take care of the ball. They didn't run good offense. And you cannot beat good teams on a neutral court when you do that. And so I don't think there's any huge takeaway. This guy stinks or bench that. Like, like, let me backtrack. Like, I think sometimes when you watch a game, you can have a huge takeaway. I think it's a fair but huge takeaway to say Louisville has real problems at the point guard position after watching them the last two or three nights. I think it's very fair to say that Michigan State better figure things out on the perimeter because they got some real problems coming out of that Duke game last week. I don't think there's any like major, like, UConn has to completely change this if they want to have success idea coming out of the UConn-Indiana game. And I do really quickly want to give Indiana some credit here. And... Listen, beating UConn when UConn is very much in a rebuild, and that's kind of my last thought on UConn, by the way. I think this is an important game for the fan base where, um, you know, UConn fans have a high level of expectation, no different than Kentucky fans, Louisville fans, Michigan State fans, North Carolina fans, Arizona fans, whoever, in that they they think everything's going to happen overnight. And so with UConn, they have some success in that Charleston tournament, they beat Florida early in the year. They go to double overtime against Xavier, and I think they think that like a light has been a, a flip has been switched, and everything's great, and it's 1994 all over again. And Ray Allen and Danielle Marshall are walking through that door, and it's just not true. It's still going to take time. Dan Hurley still has to kind of drill into his team what he wants, who he wants them to be. I thought they were sloppy, but again, for a UConn fan. Be patient. This rebuild isn't going to happen overnight. You're not going to go from a losing record the last three years to the top 10 and back in the Final Four conversation. Um, That's the unfortunate reality. It is what it is. With Indiana, I do want to hit on them really quick because I got to give them a little bit of credit, man. And that's that while, again, I don't think Indiana played their best game. I don't think they're like an elite, unquestionably good team. I do think they've improved from last year. And if you can remember back to last year, it was a program that was kind of just thrust into the spotlight because they got Romeo Langford. I think they started the season in the top 20, top 25, had a couple really nice early season wins. 
They beat Marquette convincingly. They beat Louisville in, I believe, Bloomington was where the game was played. And you think Indiana, kind of the same thing I was just saying with UConn. You think, okay, the flip has been switched. Indiana's back. They're amazing. Archie Miller, National Coach of the Year. And then it's like, oh, wait. We still got some real problems, and we still got some bad habits from the previous coaching staff that got to be ironed out. And so you saw what happened. They struggled all year. I think at one point they lost 9 of 11 games, and they obviously missed the NCAA tournament. And so you go to back to last season to put in context of what happened on Tuesday. And what happened Tuesday was this. You had a team with no superstar, Romeo Langford, who's obviously now in the NBA, and instead what you just had is a team full of guys that just play hard, bust their butts, help on defense. There's no ego. There's no drama. There's no uh, getting ready for the NBA draft. It's just It was just a good, solid team win for Indiana. Now, again, like I said, Indiana has problems. They have things that have to get fixed. They, like UConn, were sloppy with the ball, 13 turnovers. They, like UConn, did not shoot the three-point ball well, two for 13 from three. But I just thought they were so much improved from where they were a year ago when there was so much kind of inner turmoil, inner fighting. They didn't seem to be playing for each other. And like, I don't want to get into like the whole like, you know, yay, rah, rah stuff, but they weren't playing for each other. It seemed like a very disjointed group. And you look at them this year, they play hard. They defend their butts off. They play as a team. It doesn't feel like there's as much ego. I think that's a good thing. To be clear, I'm not necessarily blaming Romeo Langford. But I do think we have to have kind of the real conversation of like, you know, Romeo Lankford had a different agenda than everybody else at Indiana. Romeo Lankford knew he was only going to be there for one year. He had to go to college. He chose Indiana. And it wasn't working out well, and he seemed disengaged. And it was kind of funny, by the way, going back to last year. I do remember talking about on this podcast with Nick Coffey. I kept hearing people, when Indiana was struggling, I kept hearing people say, Indiana's wasting Romeo Lankford's one season on campus. And I kept saying, like, yeah, that's probably true. But those two things aren't mutually exclusive. Indiana can be wasting Romeo Langford's season, but Romeo Langford can also be a big part of this problem. And he didn't defend very well, and he wasn't the scorer that he was sold to be. And again, I just felt like the whole team and the whole program was more disjointed last year. So again, we will have more time to watch Indiana over the coming weeks, but I did just want to give them a quick shout out again. I don't think this is this is the game from Indiana's perspective or from UConn's perspective where we have to break down the game tape and come away with eight key takeaways from this game. I don't think either team played well. Credit to Indiana for getting the win. They move on. They now have actually a relatively impressive resume. They're sitting at 9-1. and They have the home win over Florida State, which, which looks like a really good team. They have the neutral win over UConn. Only loss is to is at Wisconsin, and now they have an interesting stretch to close out December. They play Nebraska at home, Notre Dame on a neutral, and how about Arkansas making a visit to Bloomington? All right, so I think that's all for this portion of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Uh, Andy Kennedy is coming up. So make sure you stay tuned for Andy Kennedy. Before you do, I want to remind you, please make sure to subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Full speed ahead on College Hoops. I think on Monday, I'll get Nick Coffey on just to talk more about this Louisville stuff. There's not a ton of big games this weekend. So we'll talk, obviously, Kentucky, Georgia Tech. We'll talk Memphis, Tennessee, or Tennessee, Memphis. Memphis, 
not Memphis, Tennessee, the city. We will talk Memphis and Tennessee playing this weekend. There's some other big games. We'll have topics. I'll probably bring in Nick Coffey at least for a segment. Uh, but again, that's all. So make sure you're subscribed. College basketball, full speed ahead. Uh, I believe I have a great guest set up to preview the CBS Sports Classic next week. Ohio State and Kentucky is obviously the headliner. Uh, so make sure you're subscribed. Rate and review the show. Follow on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. And for those of you who are going to be in Vegas, I gave you the details off the top. If you're going to be in Vegas, come join me at Legacy Stadium. All the details are at the beginning of the show. It's going to be a great event, apps, uh, drink specials, all that stuff. So come hang out next Friday, December 20th at Legacy Stadium in Venetian. Uh, and that is all for now, but let's uh, let's get to Andy Kennedy momentarily. Before we get to Andy Kennedy from the SEC Network and ESPN, I want to remind you that this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew, one of our favorite sponsors. Fellas, remember the days when you were always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. I'm talking bluechew.com. That's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. You can take them day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. And if you could benefit from more confidence where it counts, Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Blue Chew is prescribed online by licensed physicians, so you don't have to go to the doctor's office or wait in line in the pharmacy, and it ships right to your door in a discreet package. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships directly, they're cheaper than a pharmacy, and best of all, this is the important part, no more awkwardness. Right now, we've got a special deal for listeners of the Aaron Torres pod. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment for free when you use the special promo code TORRES. All you got to do is pay $5 shipping first sample for free. You just pay the $5 shipping fee, BlueChew.com, promo code TORRES. Again, that's BlueChew, B-L-U-E, Chew.com, promo code TORRES. Try this for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we want to thank them for sponsoring the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. And now, from the SEC Network and ESPN, Andy Kennedy. All right, and joining me on the phone now, he is the former head coach at Ole Miss, also, of course, uh, one of the lead voices of college basketball on both ESPN, the SEC Network. Andy Kennedy is on the phone. Coach Kennedy, how are you doing today? I'm terrific. I'm terrific, Gary. How are you? I'm doing well, my man, and I appreciate you joining me. And uh, frankly, it's just been another kind of fun early start to the season in the SEC. I'm really appreciative to have you on. Uh, it, it, just with a 30,000-foot view, I mean, we we came into the season thinking Kentucky and Florida were going to be there, uh, maybe Auburn, fill in the blank, whoever. And I'm looking at the standings right now. Auburn has, I think, exceeded expectations. Uh, Arkansas has been really good. Kentucky, we're still trying to figure out. As we look at this conference now, uh, six weeks into the season, what is like the number one thing to you that stands out at this exact moment? Well, I think the SEC is a microcosm of college basketball. Quite frankly, I don't think there's any elite teams, at least not that have emerged to this point that everybody would look at and say, okay, they are the team to beat. Sure. Last year, now it didn't end up coming to fruition, but last year at this time, everybody would say, okay, Duke, 
with Zion, RJ Barrett, Cam Reddish. Okay, they're the team to beat. Uh, this year, I'm not sure if we know who that is. Louisville is number one and deservedly so. Michigan may be the early story of college basketball. Juwan Howard, back to his alma mater, and has done a terrific job. Uh, then you look at the SEC, you know, opening night, Kentucky beats Michigan State, and everybody is super excited that, okay, this may be a team that could make a real run. They've only lost one game. I actually did the game when they when they lost to Evansville, but they just have not looked like a dominant team to this point in the season. They've got some front court depth issues, uh, and then they're still looking for an offensive identity for a go-to guy, i.e. Tyler Hero of last year, if they can put the ball in his hands late in the clock and he could go make plays. I do think, just based on what I have seen to this point, as it relates to the SEC, you said it. I think Auburn has surpassed expectations because when you talk about replacing Jared Harper, Bryce Brown, Tubo Kiki, three really terrific players in, in, in that Final Four run last year, and they, they're undefeated to this point. But I just did their game versus Furman, and that could have easily gone the other way on them as well. Uh, they changed the way in which they play, but they're still dependent upon you know, certain guys being productive game in and game out, and that is yet to be the case, most especially as you start to delve into, you know, harder play in the non-league leading into league play. I think Tennessee has exceeded some expectations. They have probably two of the best non-league wins for the league uh, against uh, Richmond and against a good Washington team. I think four is going to be fine. Then winning their Thanksgiving tournament in Charleston, I thought was a, a shot in the arm for Mike and in their program, I think they're going to still be okay. Kentucky's going to be Kentucky. Uh, I'm anxious to see Mississippi State, who I thought uh, was playing well early, and then they were just upset at home by Louisiana Tech a few days ago. LSU is also intriguing to me because even though they're different as it relates to personnel from last year, they still return uh, one of the most veteran backcourts in, in all of the SEC. I'm a big Skylar Mays fan, so I think they're going to be right there at the end as well. Very good. You covered a lot of ground there in a, a short amount of time. I, I guess I would start with Kentucky because you mentioned you were on that call against Evansville. Um, I guess I would just ask you what fans are asking me, which is do we know anything about Kentucky at this point? I mean, listen, you mentioned the, the Michigan State game was unbelievable, but obviously Michigan State has had its struggles since that game. And then on the flip side, Kentucky, they lose that game to Evansville. But, you know, I think when you step back a week, two, three later, you see, like, they were really banged up. They were missing some key guys. Now they got those guys back, and they appear to be rolling. I know their schedule is going to get really tough here over the next couple weeks, Ohio State, Louisville, et cetera. But now that you've had a chance to see them both – at full strength, or, or excuse me, uh, kind of not at full strength, and at least on tape. I don't know if you've seen him in person since EJ Montgomery and all those guys have come back, but what do you make of them? What do you make of where they may be in a month from now after they play a little bit better competition? Well, I think EJ Montgomery is a huge key. He was a guy last year that played off the bench as a freshman behind a pretty good front court, and I thought he would be a guy that could evolve into a 10 or 12 point per game score. He's wired to score. He gives him an athletic presence at the basket along with Nick Richards. So I really felt like he was very, very important in his continued development for, for Kentucky this year. And since he's come back from the injury, he certainly had some big games. Now, again, they're, they're certainly not against the likes of competition they're about to face with Ohio State, as you said, who's been tremendous 
and and Louisville, who was deservedly the number one team in the country. So it makes to see how it performs under those bright lights. Nick Richards has made uh, constant improvement, and then they were really high on Nate Sestina. Now, I know he's out for a few more weeks, uh, but Sestina, early on, and I like everything about the way the kid approaches the game. He seems like a terrific young man. He's, he's very heady. Uh, he, he was a guy they thought could add some perimeter shooting. That has not been the case at this point. And then against Evansville in their one loss, they really, he got spread and driven off the bounce because, let's be honest, you know, guarding his buck nail is a little different than guarding the Kentucky level of competition is going to come into play. And that's going to be an area that he's going to have to master, you know, uh, the angles game. I wasn't great geometry, but I know defense is all about, uh, energy. And angles, and his energy's never been questioned. He's going to have to be a good angles defender because athletically he's going to be challenged night in and night out guarding a base four at the SEC level. Tyrese Maxey was terrific and probably one of the most uh, commanding moments to the early part of the season when he had the big game against Michigan State, but he has not been as, as consistent as I'm sure the Cal would, would want at this point as it relates to going and getting big baskets when needed. I'm a big Aston Hagens fan. I think his game is taking the next step. But he and Emmanuel quickly have to be consistent perimeter shooters or Kentucky's going to see what Kentucky only sees when you get into league play, and that is a lot of fun. So let me ask you this, because I think you're the perfect person to ask this. Um, having coached against John Calipari, now getting to see his program uh, from the inside out uh, at, with your role with ESPN and the SEC Network, what is it about this guy and what he does? Obviously, he has talent every year, and obviously, he's always starting from scratch, which is so hard, and I think a lot of coaches are learning just how hard it is as you get more transfers in and things of that nature. But what I want to know is, or if you have any insight on it at the very least, what is it that he's doing behind the scenes? Because it is kind of incredible. This team was not playing well at this point last year. They lost to Seton Hall right around this time last year. They go on to make the Elite Eight. They go on to, I think, finish second or third in the SEC. And while it's easy to kind of sit here and pick them apart, and I think rightfully so at this point in the season, history tells us that probably his team will be okay by the middle of February into March. Do you have any concept or, or what have you seen uh, getting to meet with him and talk with him in terms of what he's doing during this time, November, December, January? Because it is kind of incredible how we seemingly always have these questions every year around this time, and they're always rolling come March. Well, I think first off, and John Calipari, for guys that, that that know the game, they they understand how good of a coach he is. He is a really good basketball coach, and he has a, a very unusual set of circumstances here in the house. Granted, he's coaching talented players, but they're brand new, and yeah. typically they all come in with with a different set of agendas. And, and he has to figure out the best way for them to play offensively because defensively they're always going to be solid. There's mm-hmm. uh, a high degree of accountability as it relates to, to them defensively year in and year out. Personnel changes, but their DNA of being very, very good, most especially in half-court defense, that always stays the same. You throw in the fact that he's got rim protectors uh, and Nick Richardson and then E.J. Montgomery, um, and, and he thought that with Ashton Higgins and Tyrese Maxey guarding the ball, it may be the best two on-ball defenders he's had in the backcourt at any one time. So I think they're going to get better and better and better defensively. And then offensively, they just have to find their DNA. Last year, they had the post-grad and Reed Travis late in the clock. They could throw it to the block and Reed Travis could find a way to get the ball uh, up on the rim. 
and ran through the mid post with P.J. Washington, or he got it to Tyler Hero in some pin-down actions that allowed him to roll on that, on that baseline. Well, this year they've got to figure out who that guy is. Is it going to be E.J. Montgomery in the mid post? Can he deliver something for him down the stretch? Is it going to be you know, Tyrese Max in some form or fashion that Cal feels is best to put him in a position to make a play? Is it going to be Ashton Hagen's off a high ball screen? Cal will figure all of that out. And you'll see the best version of the Cats, as you typically always do, sometime in early football. Very good. A couple more questions. I'll let you go. You mentioned Auburn. Um, I, I'm blown away because I was one of these guys that kind of felt like not only did they lose really good players, but as you mentioned, the the players that they were bringing back, they were going to have to, in theory at least, completely change the style of play. Last year, they were up and down, shot a lot of threes. And for whatever reason, and I'm going to toss it back over to you, it is 100% working. It's clicking. I know they, they struggled, as you said, uh, a few nights ago when you were in the building against Furman, but they are the only team in the SEC at this point in the year that's undefeated. They're now 8-0. and uh, what is going on there? Because I am so impressed by Bruce Pearl, his ability to kind of adjust on the fly. And again, just you being in the building would love your insight on what they're doing and why it's working. Well, first and foremost, they, they lost some key people, as we just talked about earlier, but they do return five seniors. True. And one of those guys is a guy named Samir Dowdy. He's been in the program now for his third year. He was a transfer from BCU, so he sat. He was a part of last year's final four run. Now he's involved into their go-to guy. I'm anxious to see if he can maintain that as, it, as he starts getting a lot of first report, scouting report uh, recognition, and and most especially when he gets into the athleticism of the SEC and the game planning that's going to come with that. Yvonne McCormick is also a senior uh, at the point. One of the issues that, that I think is going to be problematic for him moving forward if he doesn't get it corrected is free throw shooting. There's a kid that that, uh, that is sub-50 from the free-throw line as a point guard that is very problematic that you can't get that adjusted. Uh, I don't think Austin Wiley's man, and I'm glad to see him finally healthy. He was a kid who was a McDonald's All-American. Everybody thought he was going to be a one-and-done. You look up four years later, he's still here, but he's just gone through a, a battery of injuries to his lower extremities. He looks in the best shape of his life. I thought he was moving from a mobility standpoint better than I've ever seen him. And if he can stay healthy, He's the best low-post presence in the SEC. He's a big body that presents well at the rim. He's making free throws at a higher rate. He's finishing inside at, at a ridiculous percentage, close to 70% from field goals uh, percentage. So he, he's a big key. I, you know, Anthony Macklemore, the face forward, he's already got his degree. I love the kid. He's also battling back from an injury of two years ago, but he's a rim protector. He's a stretch forward and can really – you know, do things on the perimeter. So they've got a number of guys, uh, Daniel Purifoy, who everybody thought might be an early first look up, and he's a fifth-year seat. So they do have, they do have some experience. Uh, they, they brought in uh, another touted class led by Isaac Bacoro, who I think is a terrific player, one of the best in the SEC, is a true freshman. And I think Bruce still wants to play fast. They, they, they're just trying to play more inside out in the half court. And if, if Austin Wiley can maintain what I've seen to this point in the season and stay healthy, uh, then, then Auburn is certainly going to be a factor in this SEC case. Real quick, you mentioned Tennessee early. Two great wins, neutral court against Washington, neutral court against uh, Virginia Commonwealth. What have you seen from them? They're just a team, another one, that, that they lose kind of three of, frankly, you know, the most important players they've had in a really long time and seemingly haven't missed a beat. 
Yeah, number one, Rich Barsh is going to be a first Pro Hall of Famer, in my sure. opinion. I, I think he's a terrific coach. And what he's done at Tennessee, uh, I think, speaks directly to that. Number two, they returned the most experienced backcourt in the SEC, and Lamonte Turner and Jordan Bowden, two guys that, that will be touted as all-league players. Rick will also have to change the way in which they do things. I think you'll see a lot more threes. I think their tempo will even be faster. Uh, and they'll have to be more perimeter oriented because Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield, you knew, okay, last year things get tight. They're going to run that thing through to the pitch post and let Grant Williams work. Well, this year, I think it'll be a lot more high ball screens. I think they'll be more, uh, three point proficient and I think tempo will even pick up. I do think though that they've got a number of role players that have evolved into, into greater responsibilities and have responded accordingly. Uh, and again, when you have veteran guards that have been there doing that, you're always going to have a chance. Very good. Last one for me. Um, just really quick, I, I'm just curious. I mean, is there anyone or any team or like, you know, we kind of talked about kind of the 30,000 foot view of the league uh, where we stand right now. We're about two, two and a half weeks from the start of conference play. Is there anyone we're not talking about? Is there any storyline that you're interested to follow? I mean, as we look ahead to league play, kind of curious for what your thoughts are. There's a couple of things that I think that, that still have a time to evolve. I mean, we're still very, very early. Uh, but, but December's important for the league. You know, right now, I think Ken Palm, and I'm a Ken Palm fan, right now, Ken Palm, I think, has the SEC rated the fifth best league in the country based on numbers. There's there's already such such a separation. You're probably not going to catch the Big 12, Big 10, or, or Big East. ACC, I think, is about fourth, and I think the Pac-12 is sixth. So, you need, you need to have a productive December heading into league play because it's always important to have one or more quality wins in your non-league because you know the gauntlet that the SEC is going to throw at each and every one of those teams. Last year, uh, there were seven teams in, and if you were around 500, you had a chance to, to see your name Congo Selection Sunday. I think this year, with the improvement of the Pac-12, with the, with the real improvement of the Big East, with the Atlantic 10 now coming back into what they have been used to being, and that is a three- or four-bit league, I think that you've got to be careful if you're an SEC in that you've got to do something in your non-league because then 500 may not be enough to get you in as it has been the past two years because of the relevance of the rise of the other parts of the country uh, as it relates to college basketball. So I think is important. I, I'm, I'm still anxious to see because Tom Crean has such a young team at Georgia and Anthony Edwards is such a special player that I'm, I'm anxious to see how Georgia continues to evolve. Uh, and I really thought Missouri would be a little better than they are at this point. They had a good win the other day going uh, on the road and winning at Temple, but they dropped a couple of games which were which I thought were, were, were peculiar to me. Uh, just looking on the outside end, I think Conzo's got some pieces. He had some transfers sitting out. Jeremiah Tillman was a top 50 player. He's now a junior. He's had a lot of issues with foul trouble, but I think they have some pieces to be problematic. So I, I think there's a number of things that I'm anxious to continue to see evolve uh, and see where we are as we get into January. Very good. Coach Andy Kennedy, former head coach at Ole Miss, and of course with the SEC Network. Uh, where are you at next? I mean, I know it's a busy time of year for you. First of all, I genuinely appreciate uh, you making a couple minutes here. Where can uh, what what where what arena are you going to? What game are you going to be at next? I've actually been. They they they've, they've taken good care of me in the non-league. I just finished an eleven-game and thirteen-day gauntlet. 
Okay. But they weren't terrible. And I, I, it wasn't a bad place to do it. I was in Las Vegas for a number of days, and I went down and did the Orlando Invitational. So I saw a lot of different teams oh. outside of my footprint of the SEC, which was great. Uh, my next trip is I'm going to be in, in New York. I go to Barclays for a doubleheader. Florida plays Providence, and Temple plays Miami, which will be two good games. And I get right back into the SEC stuff pushing through Christmas. Man, I should have asked you. First of all, I'm headed to Vegas for the uh, CBS Sports Classic here in a couple weeks, so I'm fired up for that. Uh, I should have asked you about some other teams. I, we got I, you. Got to run. Anyone else stand out? I know you got to go. Thirty seconds, fifteen seconds, whatever you got. Anybody else stand out uh, in the early games yeah, so far? I, there, there are a couple of things. I, I had uh, in the Orlando Invitational, uh, Maryland won it. Was really impressed yep. with them. Anthony Cowan, serious, terrific guard. I think Mark Turgeon's got a lot, of, a lot of interesting pieces. I think, I think Maryland's got a chance to be uh, legitimate for long term. You know, I, 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 I saw Colorado, Clemson, TCU, all intriguing teams that are uh, kind of like some of those kids, middling SEC teams, where it's important to, to have some. Some success in December, leading into you know their conference play. So I'm just excited about. Uh, I think parity is good for college basketball. I, I think it's exciting to see uh, in football. As you know, now we obviously know there's four teams that can win a national title, but we could have told you there was probably about six or seven that were even in play two months ago. Mm-hmm. In college basketball, there are legitimately 30 or 35 teams, and it would not surprise me to see them playing in the final four in Atlanta in a few months. And I think it makes for an exciting time. Very good, Coach Andy Kennedy of ESPN, the SEC Network. He's headed to Barclays here in a few days. Coach, just want to thank you one more time. Genuinely appreciate it. It was fun. Safe travels, and uh, we'll speak soon, my man. Okay, man, Aaron. My pleasure. Thank you. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.